welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm Chris Case, managing editor of Bella News, joined by my oldish, pro-ish co-host, Coach Connor. Last fall, Trevor and I conducted a not-so-controlled study on climbing, and we had the help of a young, talented Colorado rider. His name? Sepp Kuss. At the time of our little experiment, Sepp was about to head to Europe for a training camp with his new World Tour team, Lotto and El Yumbo. Curiously, Sepp almost didn't want to do the study because he was worried his times of the climbs would be embarrassingly slow. Then, and this is in November, mind you, he proceeded to set the second fastest Strava time up the famous Flagstaff climb here in Boulder. We knew then there was something special about Sepp. It didn't take him long to dramatically prove that point to the rest of the world. Last week at the Tour of Utah, Sepp made the competition look somewhat like a bunch of amateurs. He dominated the race like it's never been dominated before, winning three stages on his way to the overall title. Now he's off to the Vuelta to make his Grand Tour debut. This spring, we recorded a podcast with Sepp about what it was like going from domestic U.S. racing to World Tour racing. The theme we tried to bring out was the struggle of jumping to the highest level and the need to persist when your first year is such a grind. So much for that theme. Well, yet despite his meteoric rise, there's really one word we would use to describe this interview. Humble. There's also some great advice about training raising your level, and the value of persistence. So in honor of Sepp's Tour of Utah win, we present our interview with him. We'll talk with him about, first, his career so far. And since Sepp did his first road race just three years ago, this part's going to be pretty short. Next, we'll talk about what his spring was like in Europe and surviving his first big race, Tour of the Basque Country. Next, we'll talk about the mental side of stepping up to a higher level and getting beat up over and over again. Then we'll talk about what training is like in Europe compared to what it's like in the domestic peloton. And finally, we have a long discussion with Sepp about something that may surprise you. His focus on the process rather than the results. We'll also hear in this podcast from Joe Dombrowski, a leader of the EF Education First Draypack World Tour team. Joe was one of Sepp's chief rivals at the Tour of Utah this year and won the race himself back in 2015. The discussion will serve as a good comparison of how the two riders train. So, pop some popcorn, pull up the highlight reel of the Tour of Utah, smile along as Sepp dances away from the competition. Let's make you fast. This episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Normatech. Dial in the most advanced recovery for your body with Normatec's patented compression massage technology. Riders like Taylor Finney, Tom Skunch, and the BMC Racing Team all rely on Normatec to get them through the daily grind of professional cycling. Normatec increases circulation, rejuvenates muscles, and reduces soreness so you can train harder and race faster. Stop by the Normatec 10 at the Colorado Classic to try it for yourself and feel what everyone is talking about. It's been a it's been a rapid transition that you've made between collegiate racing pretty quickly to the top of the domestic racing field and then 
pretty quickly after that, jumping straight into the world tour. So we want to sit down. We want to discuss all of that. We want to discuss how your training has changed, what things you need to work on, the mental aspects of that transition, the tricks that you've maybe employed, the things you've quickly realized that you need to work on, all of that. Why don't you start by giving us a sense of how long you've actually been riding, just that rapid progression that you've made? Yeah, I mean, riding in general, since I was, you know, very young, but, you know, never at a really serious level, like like a lot of juniors or even younger kids are these days. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think seriously racing, I started in 2013, where I was fully focused on, at the time, mountain biking only. And then, yeah, 2015, did a couple road races. To supplement the the mountain biking, and I, I believe I laugh. I laugh. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I laugh because you're that's three years ago, and yeah. now you're in the world tour. Yeah, yeah. So I, you just spoke about the the collegiate scene, and I, I think my first race on a road bike was in the Denver City Park for a mm-hmm. collegiate race. And crit. I, yeah, crit. Yeah, crit. I was like, I, I'd never ridden in the in the drops so much, you know. <laughs> you know, and and I started the the first twenty minutes or thirty minutes. I was only in the hoods. And then one of my teammates was like, Seth, you need to, <laughs> That's, you need to get in the drops and you, then you can corner and then you can be arrow and yeah. do all these things that I just never really, never thought about. But Right. You know. and, and that was probably literally three years ago Yeah, because that was probably in the spring yeah. of 2015. And here we are 20, 2018 and you've gone from not knowing to really ride in the drops in a crit to <laughs> racing against... The, yeah. the world's best riders. Right. So that's a great way to encapsulate your rapid progression in <laughs> yeah. the sport. Yeah. I'm still getting over the fact that your first road race was a race that I did after I had retired from racing full time. <laughs> and I did it five years before. Oh, man. <laughs> for my last time. Yeah. Throwback. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there something uh, you can share with us about how those transitions have taken place let's take the the first one from mountain bike collegiate mountain biker to being a member of of rally and stepping up you did uh the colorado classic last year i remember so that's in itself a pretty big transition a a, a rapid progression can you walk us through how that went yeah for me in the especially in the early stages it was all pretty um pretty natural and just going with what I thought was most appealing or fun at the time. So yeah, I mean, for me, riding my road bike was always something that I would supplement my mountain biking with. So it's not like I was a total stranger to riding my road bike, but I would never really do any races on it. So, um, and I thought, yeah, I like watching road bike races and it, it seems cool. And it seems a lot different than uh, than mountain biking, and certainly a lot different than than mountain biking is now, and in, in the more modern form. So I mm-hmm. thought, yeah, nothing to lose by trying. And at, and at that time, I think the big catalyst for making that choice was I was just kind of not really burnt out on mountain biking, but I was I, I just felt like I was stalling. You know, I wasn't really getting results to write home about at, at World Cups or anything, and yeah, I just wanted to see what I was capable of because I felt like I could didn't really have any more room to grow or maybe not even more potential on the mountain bike. So 
I thought, yeah, there's absolutely nothing to lose by trying out road racing. That's fair. You were 16. You'd been at it a long time. <laughs> explore new avenues in life. <laughs> Can you give us a sense of what your training was like when you were a collegiate mountain biker? Yeah, when I was collegiate, I was, uh, I would pretty much just go on a couple over the weekend. Yeah, just as long as I could ride basically and do as many climbs as I could do and until I was dead. And then I would go home and go back to the cafeteria and stuff my face, have a couple Cokes and, you know. <laughs> so, so basically not a lot of thought went into it. It was ride as much as I could and have fun with it. Yeah, it was definitely the more train harder, not smarter type mm-hmm. way. I mean, it was really fun at the time and I don't think I paid any price for it or, you know, it didn't stunt any mm-hmm. development or anything. I think it was just, it's probably yeah. what would, it, it, it keeps you fresh too. Like yeah. you don't want a lot of structure perhaps when you're progressing that quickly through the sport mm-hmm. or just getting into it. Yeah. I assume you weren't, uh, using a power meter much or looking at that data no. at, at that time. No, I think I had a power meter starting in 2014. Okay. Yeah, before that, I would just go on epic mountain bike rides. or Just all fun and feel. Yeah, just fun. And, and that, yeah, I never really thought much of it. And yeah, it was never like, oh, I need to make this choice and this choice. It was just, yeah, whatever. You probably at that time didn't think that you were going to become a professional cyclist either. No, definitely not. I thought, yeah, just... I mean, I obviously loved riding my bike, but I'd never thought that I would be post-college that I would be doing this for a, a living or anything like that. I just thought, yeah, do it to the best of my ability, but never was I, I never had a plan for myself. Like I have to do X and Y to be a world tour by year 2000, whatever. So right, right. <laughs> never, never had that idea. So you transitioned from mountain biking to collegiate. So you, you started doing collegiate road cycling. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you when you started doing your first NRC? So I've seen a lot of guys who are, are racing locally and then they go to an NRC for the first time and it's a bit of a yeah. a shell shock yeah. reaction. What was it like for you? Yeah, I, I think uh, 2015, the only NRC race I did was Gila. And uh, I was on amateur team at the time, team out of Utah, Intermountain Livewell. And yeah, I did Gila and I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at climbing. I think like I, 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 I can do the, the, the Strava KOMs in Boulder. I'm probably all right. And then, oh man, I just got totally shattered at that race. So it was, it was pretty fun. I thought, man, I, I guess I'll never make it as a road racer. Like, That's it's, hilarious. It's just like, oh, man, yeah. I, I can't, I can't climb with the top 30 guys in this race. And, but I, you know, I wasn't like crushed because of it. I just thought, well, like, man, these guys are, are really fast. And then, but yeah, I think that just shows how much in, in road racing, how much of it is, um, experience and knowing how to race rather than just putting your head down and going hard, which you see a lot in your, cause in Europe, you, you see people or you're racing with people that are, that actually know how to race. It's not that they, I mean, they do, but nobody's head and shoulders physiologically above everybody else it's right you know, you're all humans it's yeah. just the intelligence sometimes that yeah, makes sometimes a difference and experience and yeah the ability to, a lot of different things but yeah it's yeah it's, so i was gonna ask so that first time at gila was it they're just that much stronger or was it much as much experience knowing where to be at the right time and yeah i think for me it was a lot of it was experience because i was just using so much energy when i didn't need to and then 
by the time the the climbs came, I was completely empty. And I think it was a bit of that and a bit of just physically maturing. And you were 21 at the time, 20, um, yeah, 20 or 21. Yeah. I think it was my sophomore year of college. Yeah. So how did it progress from there? Was was that the point where you said, I want to try to make a go at this or did you just... Yeah. I mean, even, even though I didn't in 2015, I think I did, I only did Gila and Cascade and I didn't really have like any big results or anything that indicated that I could do well there. But even then I was much more intrigued by the racing than I was with the mountain bike racing. So I said, well, now, now this is the new project to be good at, at road racing. And so then in yeah, 2016, I said, okay, I'm not going to mountain bike anymore. I'll just focus on this and give it my best shot. And you use the word project. Do you, <laughs> uh, this might take us down or off on a tangent, but do you consider this like an experiment? I know you, in the past, you haven't had a coach and we've talked about that. Are you, I assume that you use that word because you're always learning. You're always sort of tweaking things and trying to, to progress. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be silly to say the racing in the world tour is like a project for me because it's like I can't, you know, there, there's not much room to, <laughs> right. you know, for for error or for saying, yeah, I don't feel like doing it, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's probably the the pinnacle of what I could do. So I think that's pretty exciting. But Well, so taking a step back, you said you didn't really have any results in 2015 that said anything, but this now became your project. Yeah. What were the steps in that project? How did you say, I'm going to go from what I was in 2015 to a guy who's winning these races? Was there a methodology to it or was it just uh, ride, ride, ride more? Hard? Yeah. I think most of it was just the mindset, really. Because when I was mountain biking, I just, I didn't have that like winning mindset. Because I knew like, oh, I'm starting fifth row in this race it's not feasible for me to get a top 10. I mean, and you know, there, there are guys that do that and they're incredible riders, but I, I was being honest with myself and I said, that's not, not for me. So I think when I, when I fully, at least mentally, when I fully went to the road, I said, okay, this is a sport where you don't always have to be the, the freak of nature or whatever to win the race. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go into actually getting the results. So I said, well, it's, it's not just black and white. So there's a lot of things that I could improve on. And then the racing was so exciting to me. So I said, well, I have so much room to improve in the positioning and, and tactics that that was a big, big aspect of it. Not just the, the, uh, the physical side. Cause I don't think my training changed too much really. Mm. So how'd you figure it out? You didn't have a coach to, to teach you this stuff. So were you talking to people or just go to races and yeah, talk to people and, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many people in Boulder that, that have, you know, good information and yeah, just the technique of not just riding in a race, but of like pedaling, being smooth on the bike, all those things that, yeah, that I, I think still a lot of people don't fully notice or understand it themselves. And yeah, it's, it's hard to say what exactly clicked, but I, I really do think it was just the mentality. My I think my body, I was suited more towards road racing, but mentally I was just more fresh for road cycling. Yeah. Fair enough. So there was never that shell shock of, oh my God, I'm out of my league. 
<laughs> I mean, now there is, yeah. But okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get there. <laughs> yeah. We're 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 yeah. anxiously await your answers on that. Yeah. But certainly, so in the, in the domestic scene, you never had that. It was just more, this is something that I want to do. You were excited. and Yeah. I mean, there's so much that you can look into. And like nowadays, you can look up any pro on Strava and 60% of them have their power number. You can say, oh, that's a cool interval. Like, might try that today or things like that. Or, or you see the numbers they do in races and you say, okay, well, I, that might be attainable for me with certain amount of training and things like that. So... Yeah, I think nowadays there's so much that's transparent. Like for me, a guy who likes to yeah, study on that sort of thing, it, it seemed more realistic. Your mindset fascinates me because there you yeah. and this is full compliment. We kind of suspected this beforehand that we talked about how you, you progress, that mm -hmm. you just kind of were very methodical about it and, and said, Okay, I'm here, I want to get here. And I'm going to figure out how to do that. And yeah. I just found your ways of doing it. And it doesn't sound like certainly at the, the domestic scene, there was ever a doubt of, can I do this? It was just, let's, let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. I think back to a race I did a, a long time ago. So this is before your time. The, so the big race uh, back in the old days was Tour de Tuna. And I went with this composite squad and we had two guys on it. One guy who... Um, he was a really good regional rider where he was from. He was winning a lot of races, and they, the idea was the whole team was going to work for him. And then there was this kid on the team. He was 19. He was at his first big race. And it was fascinating watching them because the guy who was the really good regional rider, he was used to just, I can just break away, ride away from the fields and win the mm -hmm. races when I yeah. want. He tried this in an NRC. He was out there for 10 minutes. The field caught him. The field <laughs> dropped him. Yeah. And at the hotel that night, he just said, I'm never doing an NRC again. Never did. Yeah. Never, no. never left where he was yeah. from. The kid was out of his league. He was struggling. He was having a tough time. Barely made it through the race, but completely different response. He just went, I want to figure this out. This is the coolest thing in the world. Like, I, I am definitely not good enough for this right now, but boy, I want to get there. And he ended up going pro. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And so I was kind of, I had a feeling you were more like he was, even if you struggled, it was just, no, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, this year I'm in a totally different situation and even further out of my comfort zone. But I think even if you're just getting your head kicked in all the time, it's for me, it's, it's demoralizing, but it's, you know, you have to start somewhere and some guys, their, their Neo pro year, they're like Bernal, he's win, <laughs> almost winning world tour races. So, yeah. but yeah, I think those guys are the exception and, and being realistic with myself, it's, you know, I have to start at a, at a lower level or expectations. And yeah, I think if you immediately say, Oh, this isn't for me and it's not in my, not in my wheelhouse, never again, then already losing. But yeah. I think it, it, it says something about, ego too you know like a regional rider that does an nrc and gets his butt kicked says i'm never doing one again because he probably wants to win regional races because he wants that feeling of winning the 19 year old that says you know i, I want to figure this out and turns pro and with you it's like i want to figure this out it's because ego isn't a barrier for you to progress and you are willing to get your head kicked in to hopefully one day figure it out and whatever that means for you, you're never going to win the Tour de France, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> and you're accept, you accept yeah, that. Yeah. But, but a result here or there is, is that's what you, keeps you going. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, that story that I just told you, I, I tell that to athletes somewhat regularly. And I use that story as, as explaining why failure is important. Simply because it's exactly that. There was an ego thing. The, the regional rider, he did not like to fail. He did not like to lose. And when he competed at a level where he necessarily was going to lose for a while, he said, no, I want to go back to where I can win. Where the, the kid had progressed much further. And the, I'm calling him a kid. I'm not giving you the name because <laughs> I know you've heard of him. And you're going to go, wait, he was, you think he's a kid? He's uh, <laughs> not a kid anymore. He's not a kid anymore. Well, you know, you you were Rob Britton's teammate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Rob and I were training out of the same center when he was just starting out. Yeah, that's awesome. What I'm interested in asking you and what this kid was willing to accept is if you really want to hit higher levels, failure is a big part of the game. And it seems like that just doesn't bug you at all. No, not too much. I mean, I think I'm pretty pretty optimistic not like delusionally optimistic <laughs> but yeah there, there's there's definitely people that are i think delusionally optimistic that ah that that's kind of rude i guess but no no <laughs> yeah, especially in cycling you know when the, when it's so accessible to be like a pro you know there's people that are just forcing it too much you know mm-hmm. but uh for me i'm just pretty pretty optimistic and i i know i know what my limitations are but you know, you can always surprise yourself. Let's jump into that a little bit. You have had several DNFs this year. Yeah. You're, you've stepped into the big leagues. Yeah. Um, you, you've been in the breakaway at Strada Bianchi. You yeah. had some, some highs and some probably more lows though. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, um, you've had your head kicked in as, yeah. as, as you've said. How do you cope with that? It's hard to say because it's for, for those races, like, for example, like, uh, bass country. I've, n- I've never done anything that's that hard and I've never done that race before even. So it's, I don't know what to, to go off of for a lot of those races, you know, like, I don't know if what, what kind of improvement I can shoot for like next year or, or in the next month. Cause I don't know what, you know, it's completely foreign train to me, you know? So what was, do you say it's the hardest thing you've ever done? What, yeah. what was different comparing it to like a Cascades or even a tour of California? For Bass Country, it's just, yeah, harder all day. And, like, for me, I felt like I was, like, maybe probably was, like, one of the heavier guys, you know. So if you get dropped on a on a climb, there's literally no one to get dropped with. Can you, yeah. t- can you take us through one of the stages? Like, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Give, us, yeah. give us the dirty, despairing tale of Sep at the Tour <laughs> of the Bass Country. Yeah, I think, uh, let's see, the first stage was... It was hard, but it was normal. But the second stage, uh, it was, I mean, all the gaps were still pretty close on GC. So it was probably like a two-hour fight for the breakaway. And we started just on a standard coastal road, kind of mm-hmm. headwind. And then we got to the top of the climb. It was still beautiful weather. And then all of a sudden, the clouds came in and it just started raining mysteriously on this super fast descent. Mm. So then the, the br- group split, I think, right at the bottom of the descent. And somehow I was in the first part of it just from covering moves and everything like that. I ended up being, but half of our team was in the second one, half of us were in the first. So, and then from there, after the big split, we went into this crazy road, I think road of a thousand turns or something. They call it. Um, <laughs> Sounds great. So when there, you're not racing. Yeah. I was like every, every turn, full sprint, every straightaway. I was like, lose one position, gain one position, you know, I just try to hang yeah. on. And then I look back, Oh, last wheel. 
<laughs> Got to hang on, I think. And then uh, at, at that point, it was I was completely, completely dead. And then then we go up the first actual climb, wow, categorized climb, which is steep goat path <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So then I'm, I'm still last wheel, just coming out of these little, you know, nasty corner flat uphill kind of road and then uh yeah and then i got dropped from the first group and i think oh no like now i'm just in no man's land like why couldn't i just stayed with the first group and then so i'm just kind of there trying to save energy but not really and then the the second group catches me and then we still have to come back to the first group so then so then i'm pulling again with with Mm -hmm. my teammates that are back there to get up to primos again in the first group and then right when we make contact, then then we're riding the front again, and which, which I'm happy to do because I'd rather do my work and be dead last by 30 minutes than just survive and right. You be, feel like you ha- you have a purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, that 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 probably helps mentally. Yeah, definitely. And then yeah, after that, uh, I think after 30 minutes of pulling, then we started this really heinous <laughs> climb in the middle of the race. Um, I think it was like. 12, 15% for, it seemed like it was 10K, but it's probably only like 2K long. <laughs> <laughs> and then got dropped on that. And then uh, I think I there were maybe three guys with me. It just shows the level of that race though. Like no one really. Right. But, but for me, that was, that was the limit, you know? And then for the next, I think 50K, it was just us in the cars, you know, trying to <laughs> get back. And then right when I get back, I think, oh yeah, I'll take some bottles, you know, you know, be a good, t- good teammate. And then, uh, and then right as I take the bottles, start up another, I think just cat three climb. But at that time it, you know, felt like a cat one climb to me and I have like five bottles on me and I think, oh, I can make it to the top. I can do it. And then, <laughs> and then like, Sep, just get rid of the bottles. You're not going to make it over this climb. <laughs> yeah. The bottles. So I get rid of the bottles again, finally make it to the group over the top. And I think, okay, now, now I just have to survive. Like I, I there's nothing more I can do. Mm-hmm. And that was one, stage two. One, one step forward, two steps backwards. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So what was your feeling after that? Did you, what, did you just go back and go, what did I get myself into? Or were you excited or? <laughs> oh, I was, I was pretty excited when I finished. And, never, and then I, got, I get on the bus and everyone looks at me. Oh, Seth, you're, you're alive. You're alive. <laughs> you're alive. Oh, wow. We didn't kill the American today. Oh, wow. Okay, good. But yeah, after that stage, I actually felt a lot better physically. I think for some reason I just was improving from then on. But I mean, it was still a really hard rate. Every stage was... So here's a question I have for you, and I, I have a, a definite bias um, in terms of the answer for this question as a coach, <laughs> yeah. but I'm interested in, in your response. Do you think any amount of training could have prepared you for that race, or do you feel you need to do races at that level before you can actually do races at that level? Yeah, I, I think in my case, I, I think this is my opinion, but I, I personally think I could have trained a lot more leading into that race because, what was it, I think... A couple of days before we did a one day race Volta Limburg and and before that I was just feeling really really bad in training and just I I was supposed to do a, a power test I couldn't even do the power test I mean I just I got five minutes in and couldn't even hold anything mm-hmm. worth <laughs> worthwhile uh, only so, what you and I do yeah <laughs> probably yeah. hundred watts no, more no, than what no you guys are machines yeah so I think I think mentally for me it's it's harder for me to be in a good mental place if if I know that I'm not like at my best physically leading into a race 
for, I mean, for me, it's just in general, it's an adjustment being with like, uh, you know, team, team trainers and everything, not, not in a bad way. It's just, you know, I, I'm used to having, being very, uh, autonomous. And for me, I don't need people like checking in to see how I'm doing training. I just, I do the work and confident in what I do. And then they usually works out, but yeah, it, before that race, I was in a bad place physically. And I think maybe mentally too, just cause I knew that yeah, this is going to be a hard race. Like <laughs> I'm not anywhere near my best shape. And even in my best shape, it would still be a, you know, a really hard race to get through. So, so it wasn't a shock to the system of, Oh my God, I had no idea it was going to be this hard. It was just more, you were aware you were going in, not firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, personally I had lower expectations. And then when I started improving later in the race, it was probably a better, better sign, but yeah, going into it, I was just ready to suffer. Do you, do you, you know, you, going back to your story about the tour of the Gila, the first time you did that, you think, uh, you know, I can climb and, and yeah. you go there and you get crushed. Yeah. Now you stepped up. So then you, you go to the tour of the Basque country and a similar thing sort of to that tour of the Gila experience happens to you. You get your head kicked in. It's really hard. You're like, holy crap. So. Where do you go from here? How do you get to the point where next year or two years from now at the Tour of the Basque Country, you're not fighting to hang on to yeah. the, the, just the, with your fingertips to the backs, uh, of the, the, the group, you're contesting, you're contending, or you're just able to do more work and it's just a, a more, pleasant experience <laughs> yeah so so you're asking what, what what do you think i need to do or yeah i mean you you maybe didn't uh have an exact roadmap of how you went from uh getting your butt kicked at the tour of the gila to where you are now but you mm -hmm. made it there and i would assume that you want to have uh better experiences the next yeah. time you do yeah. the tour of the Basque country so do you have a, a a plan in your mind of how you get there yeah that, that's a good thing to bring up with, uh, with Gila. Cause yeah, it was a similar feeling like, Oh, I think I'm, I'm okay, but I just did this race and I'm, <laughs> you know, not, not okay. So it's the same thing with, uh, yeah, those crazy climbing world tour races where you think, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get like top 20 on one stage. And, but yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, I think it's the same thing though. Just, just doing it once mm -hmm. is better than just going into it for the first time. So I think, yeah, after one, one time of <laughs> being sure. at the back, I, I think, yeah, there's no reason that just from an experience standpoint that it won't be 10 times better than that. Just, mm -hmm. you know, maybe that's optimistic, but I, but yeah, that's just in my observations of how I've progressed in road races. A lot of it is just, yeah, so much experience for me. And then even if I'm in a similar physical shape, I'm a lot better the second time around once I've right done a race or experienced a certain situation so that was certainly yeah. what i was getting at with my bias i'm a big believer that we we rise or lower to the level of the competition yeah you, you just <clears throat> kind of naturally start to understand here here's the level that's expected of me mm -hmm. and we're actually somewhat it's difficult for us to really exceed that level so you need to kind of get hit by that higher level and go oh my god yeah and then reset your expectations in, in your head of what's normal yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah, I think my, usually if I'm going to race, my expectations are usually pretty, pretty accurate. So it's not like I get super, super frustrated, you know, after a race, I, I can move on pretty quick, which is, I, for me, it's a strength because 
you know, there's always, always another day, always another race and it's not the end of the world, <laughs> you know? But yeah, I think where, where maybe some guys struggle, especially in their first years, not that I've been through it yet or anything, but if you just dig yourself in a mental hole, then you're never going to have different expectations or you're always have expectations that are too, too high. And then you're, you're never satisfied or you are a true optimist. <laughs> so the, the big question I want to ask you and, and please take your time with this. You know, one thing you've demonstrated is you've been somebody who's able to jump up a level, get kicked around a little bit and, and stay yeah. centered, stay focused and, and figure it out. And, learn to be successful at that next level. And it's kind of exciting to have you in here while you're in the process of that yeah, right now. Yeah. But certainly everybody, and, and I'm going to say most of our, our listeners here at some point or another are going to take on a race that's going to be above any the, the level they're used to. And they're going to have to confront being a little out of their league. What advice do you have for the listeners for dealing with those situations? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I guess first, first bullet point in that would be... Uh, just know that if you've done the, the preparation and you've obviously earned that through just being like starting in this race, you know, whether, whether it's cause you're in, in that category of you're a cat two and you just upgraded and now you're in a cat two race or, or you're, you know, you're a pro and you're in a pro race, you've, you've obviously earned that. So it's not like you, you shouldn't be there. So that's, you know, the first mental roadblock. And then just know that when it's, when it's really hard and you think, Oh man, I might let go. This is really, this is really hard. It's it's hard for everybody else. You know, that's, I, I think that's what you notice in Europe. It's like when it's hard, everyone, everyone's suffering, but they're also really good at suffering and some guys are good at hiding it too. So it's, you think, Oh man, like this is, this is mentally and physically really hard, but you just have to, you just have to hang on. Sometimes you just don't have a choice, but to, to hang on. At least if you, that's what you think of in your head, think, no, there's no, no option. I need to hang on to this group then. What does it mean to be really good at suffering? I think people uh, out there don't, you know, that that's a bit vague. Do you use any particular strategy to help you cope with the pain, the suffering and the, is it a mental thing? Is it a, do you have a mantra? <laughs> Do you uh, play a play a specific song in your head? Is there anything like that, or is it just sheer no, determination? No mantra, but I think just from experience, like when you let go and you have let go for what ten seconds or five minutes, you think, "Oh man, you know, you it, it's it's almost a worse feeling than hanging on and 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 being in that other dark place." So I you you always at least for me, I think back to that. I think. It's it's worse when when you not give up, but when you can't go anymore and in the, 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 the mental outweighs the the physical of it. When I work with athletes who yeah. struggle with that, one of the the things I have them do is when they line up on the start line, they have to finish the race. Mm -hmm. The reason being, when they get to that point where they're really hurting and and let go, it's usually with the idea, well, I'll just pull out of the race. Yeah. All you have to do is have one race where you sit there behind, chasing behind the field by yourself for an hour with everybody on the sideline going, way to go, you can do it, <laughs> yeah. to just kind of go, I'm never doing that again. Yeah, yeah. I will go to that other dark place and hang on Yep. yep. so I don't have to be behind the field for an yeah. hour. Yeah, because yeah, then you always, you know, when, when you're decompressed from the, the race or whatever, you always look back and think, yeah, I probably could have. 
I probably could have just dug a little deeper. I, yeah, I won't. I won't let it happen next time. It takes a while to to know that, but I think that's what I I think of. It's just the disappointing yourself. Those feelings so, of guilt or regret or whatever yeah, you want to call regret, it. Just, yeah. yeah. So continuing with that question, let's take that Cat Two. This guy's you, know, you have a rider. Um, they've just upgraded to Cat Two. They've gone into a race and they just got yeah. kicked around, dropped out of the group, finished way back. What do they do then? What, what do you do to get yourself back on course? Do you reevaluate your training? Is it just mental and tell yourself eventually I'm going to figure it out, or, or how do you keep yourself from getting demoralized? And it's definitely helpful to evaluate, but I don't think it's necessarily good to evaluate the whole whole training because yeah, a lot of it is just just trust. Yeah, sometimes it's just just a luck thing, or you know, and and, and there's so many so many factors in road races like you got killed in this crit but these three guys were it was their peak peak event of the year and and for you it was your your build up or whatever and yeah there's there's so many people in the race and so many different outcomes that you can't just be set on that end result because there's so many so many b variables that are out of control you know so if you if you did your best i don't see why you can't go into the next race and think okay well maybe the whatever variables there are are going to work in my favor. Maybe, maybe I'm good at crosswinds and, you know, the next race has crosswinds. Maybe then those guys that beat me in this race will be behind or just keeping perspective. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a bad race, so I suck and I should quit. That, yeah. That's, yeah. I don't no think game you should think yeah, that never, never good to, to take it personally. I don't think. Yeah. Dial in the most advanced recovery for your body with Norman Tech's patented compression massage technology. Riders like Taylor Finney, Tom Skoinch, and the BMC racing team all rely on Norman Tech to get them through the daily grind of professional cycling. Norman Tech increases circulation, rejuvenates muscles, and reduces soreness so you can train harder and race faster. Stop by the Norman Tech tent to the Colorado Classic to try it for yourself and feel what everybody is talking about. We, it, we have this sort of unique opportunity because last November, all three of us sitting here worked on this science of climbing project. And it's November. You go out and do a, a time trial up Flagstaff Mountain in Boulder, which is sort of a famous climb. Everybody uses it to test their form. You're wearing lots of clothes. It's 30 degrees Fahrenheit out. It was cold that day. <laughs> yeah. And you set time that until yesterday... Oh, was yeah. was second on the list. Lachlan oh. went up there and oh, okay. and and, wow. and and bested you. He's, but he's worthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're talking to you, and it's well into your first season on the world tour. It brings up a, a number of questions in my mind. At the time, you said, "Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going too fast now for for being in November. I'm not overtraining um, because I'm getting ready for the the world tour. I'm not." I'm not doing anything differently than I would otherwise. And Trevor and I are like, well, you know, if I were him, I'd be like, man, I'm stepping up. I've got to maybe do a little bit more. Yeah. Looking back on that time, did you do too much? Were you over? Did you come in a little bit over, not overcooked, but with a little bit too much in you? Yeah, it's hard to say because, yeah, c comparing it to like 2016, I was training a lot more at that time in, in 2000, you know, and I was... Yeah, maybe 
comparing 2016 to the beginning of, what was that, 2017, mm-hmm. November 2017. I was in, yeah, much better shape 2016 at that time. But you can't really compare, like, I, I guess I was so used to taking, like, four months off the bike for, for ski season, you know, and then start riding again in May and then, you know, start skiing again when, when the snow falls. So, mm-hmm. so now it's like, oh, I'm a, I, I'm a cyclist. Like I like to ride my bike. If I, if I take like four weeks off completely or just running or whatever, then I come back and I have like knee injuries and all this stuff. So I, I just prefer to, to ride more in the off season. But, uh, yeah, so this season was pretty, um, I'd say pretty relaxed relative to, seasons before of in terms of riding or training during the off season. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe a bit more rest, just knowing how hard the, the races are in the spring and just being a little, a little fresher, but yeah. So you're saying that that is what you did or that what you will be doing next year or both? <laughs> I, I, I was kind of like half in half out. Cause I said, Oh yeah, it's yeah. Maybe good to have a bit more rest, but, but at the same time, you know, I, I want to not just be surviving in the spring races. So maybe I should, you know, really, really go all in now and then, and then take a good break in the middle of the season, but which has usually worked for me, but um, yeah, maybe I underestimated the, the amount of rest that you need leading into a, huge season and more race days and everything. Cause I think in the past, at least on the U S scene, I was yeah training a lot more, a lot more intensity. Yeah. Just, just more in general and maybe, maybe training at a, a higher level in terms of numbers that I was putting up in training, but, but I wasn't racing nearly as much as, as I am now. So, so now you're getting more of it through your <clears throat> racing. Yeah, I think. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the groupettos still go pretty pretty fast. <laughs> Not that big a time cut. You no, gotta keep no. moving. Yeah. I'm curious also to know if I don't think you're adamantly opposed to having a a coach. You didn't have a coach when we were working with you in November. I assume that there are the Lotto NL Yumbo has some coaches that you're working with. Do you think that? Have you reassessed whether you need a personal coach to work with you to get you to the next level to to be able to compete more in these races that you're now doing? Yeah, I think just from the the team standpoint, yeah, you definitely need coaches that are internal just to make sure everyone's doing the work and because it, it's it's very formulaic, not in a bad way. It's just they have this certain race where they need these riders to be ready and, and this rider to be the leader. So I think for them, it makes it easier to, to manage everybody from a coaching standpoint. So I can totally understand that. But I think for me, like I mentioned earlier, at least mentally, I, I work better just do my own thing. Not, I think something I can improve on is like leaving comments on my, you know, my training files. Cause I think, well, if, if it went good, I don't have anything, anything to say. If, if, if something goes bad, you'll, you'll hear from me, but usually it's pretty, uh, pretty even keel with mm-hmm. in terms of what right. I, what I have to say, but, but obviously communication is, is uh, really important, but yeah, it's, it's hard to say if I would be, uh, be better in, in this, in this like world tour situation, if I would be better doing my own thing or, or with, uh, yeah, more managed, mm-hmm. I guess. Trevor, I, I know, I think you probably have some, some things to say. 
<laughs> Actually, I really don't. I, no? I'm quite interested. I mean, as, as we've talked about, every athlete is different and some really need guidance. Yeah. From everything I've seen of you, you're not somebody who just trains haphazardly or randomly. You're, you're very thoughtful about it. And you know, my guess is if we looked at your, your training routine, we'd say that's, that's very structured. That's yeah. you know, well yeah. coached. And you figure that out on your own. And you also have to be comfortable with your training. And, and every time we talk about this with you, I kind of hear in your voice this, I like my freedom. I like yeah. to be making my own choices. <laughs> and you don't like the idea of somebody coming in and telling you what you should be doing every day. Yeah, it's not that I don't like the idea. But if, yeah, for example, if I have a, a, a general training day, then I think, oh, what should I do? And then I, and then a lot of the times I'll just end up doing something stupid, like just riding 270 Watts for, you know, whatever. And then it's not really going to do too much for you, but yeah. <laughs> I, that's I that's mean, zone one for some yeah, yeah, uh, well, yeah, listeners. No, no, no. For, for me, that's, that's hard, but it's, yeah, if, if I, uh, yeah, yeah it, for me, if, if, if it's open-ended with, with someone telling me that it's open-ended, then I'll always strive to do something yeah, maybe stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something that you look back on two days later and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's why I'm tired today. But before it was more more methodical because I had just this plan. Right. And yeah, now it's a, it's a different plan because you have different roles and, you know, you may not know if you're going to be subbing in for a race that weekend or something like that. So it's... Uh, just different different training philosophies which which is not not a bad thing just uh just just figuring it out yeah yeah so the question i'm interested in asking you is you obviously figured out a very good training routine to to make yourself very successful in the north american circuit so you're now just now getting over to europe you've talked to us about fast country and, and what some of these races are like now that you're getting a sense for it over there what elements would you change about your training is there anything you look back and say that was good for north american style racing but boy i need to do it differently now yeah it's interesting because like i said the team has a general coaching philosophy so you can say oh look look at primos we're doing similar training but he's already won two world tour races this year right you know so obviously it's really good training so yeah i can take confidence in that but i think for, for the North American stuff, I guess I was training in a way that was where I could win, win the race. You know, it was all about making that like a winning acceleration or being able to attack. Yeah. Being able to attack or being able to clear the lactate when, when it's, you know, a, a kilometer to go and now it's different roles. So maybe, yeah, more low, low threshold training and. Yeah, just to make it through the, the longer races. And in the U.S., it's really high power at the end, but everything preceding that is not. So it's really yeah. U.S. <clears throat> is really working that high intensity, working that yeah. big power. Where yeah. Europe's much more about you need to hang on for five hours. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, you need to be extremely, extremely efficient. Yeah, be able to produce that 20-minute power that you did in the U.S. after <laughs> riding 150 watts, but you need to do that in Europe after riding <laughs> a lot more than 150 watts. It, it's also, I mean, you're hinting at the fact, or not even hinting, but saying it has a lot to do with the, the, the role that you play. 
It used to be when you're on rally, you were going for stage wins. Yeah. Now you're bottle guy. Mm -hmm. So your role is completely different. You don't necessarily need to function in the same way. Your training has, has evolved because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I would agree with that. So for the guys over in Europe who are trying to to win, is it, are they training similar to the the guys trying to win in the U S or is it still different? Hmm. I, yeah, I think they train a lot easier than guys in the U.S. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's my, yeah. How, how so? Not, not easier, just, just different. Is it more intelligent? Just a lot more low intensity. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that. Yeah. A lot more. Trying the to hard days are really hard and the easy days are really easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's more polarized. Yeah. Just a lot more. A lot more mild, you know, just mm. just a lot more just riding, I guess. Okay. Mm. At, at least that's what I've noticed in my own training too. It's a lot of just just riding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just riding. Yeah. Are, no, are, no secret. Uh, no secret formulas. Just, just are there riding. numbers attached to those those easy rides, or, or are they just like go easy, or do they say stay below? Uh, this uh, yeah, for me, it's ride less than two hundred ten watts. Yeah, just ride. Okay. So 210 watts. Um, so we measured when he was just coming off of a, a break, uh, SEP's threshold uh, power at right about 330. Yeah. I'm guessing you're significantly higher than that now. Oh. So you're, when, when you're saying 210 watts, we're probably talking 60, 65% of your threshold power. About that. Yeah. I can't do that math in my Sorry. <laughs> it's two thirds, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty easy, yeah. And and let's disregard your results. Yeah. Let's throw that. I mean, it's hard to do, but throw out all the other things that have to do with bike racing. Yeah. How do you actually feel physically? Do you feel stronger than you've ever been? No. 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 But yeah, it's it's just such a different situation, you know. Like if I if I compare to a lactate test I did after California last year to now, it would be probably much better last year, but, hmm. but yeah, there, I think there's, yeah, there's so much going into that. You know, the fact that I've already done probably like three fourths of the race days that I did last year and but all the rest that's associated with that and heavier than I was last year, just for what, whatever reason, you know, hmm. just, just think things like that. Joe Dombrowski, one of the leaders of EF education, first gray pack presented by Cannondale was the 2015 winner of the tour of Utah. This year, Dombrowski and the EF Education Squad were one of SEP's top rivals for the yellow jersey. On the second to last day, the queen stage of the tour, EF Education took control before the finishing snowbird climb and relentlessly attacked SEP, trying to take the jersey off his back. When Dombrowski attacked, SEP went with him, quickly wilting the group down to just a few riders. And ultimately, SEP dropped all of them and went on to win his second of three stages in a row. We bring this up because we recorded an interview with Dombrowski about his training for our episode on polarized training, but unfortunately didn't have the space for it. Thankfully, we hung on to the interview knowing we'd be able to use it in a future episode. So now we have this incredible opportunity to compare the training of two of the biggest contenders at this year's Tour of Utah. Without offering any opinion, let's hear what Dombrowski has to say about his training since 2015. Do you take a polarized approach to your training? I would say that for me, it depends on the time of year. The last few years, 
I've in the winter gone to actually a really low volume, highly anaerobic focus. If, for example, in December, a week, I might only do 14 to 16 hours on the bike in a week, but which for you is I, low, which for, yeah, for a world tour rider, that would be a pretty light week. Yep. So I, I've gone to this sort of winter plan of doing these low volume weeks where maybe I'll have one and a half to two hours a day and then one long ride per week. And, but with that, I've been doing typically three days in the gym per week, mostly focusing on major compound movements. So squatting, deadlifting, um, I use the leg press and then the rest is more like sort of core stability type, type work. And then on the bike, a lot of focus on maximal efforts from five seconds to two minutes. And also this year, actually, I did quite a bit of riding, probably twice a week on a fixed gear, which, you know, I, I didn't have a power meter on it. I just go by heart rate. But it's similar in that, you know, if you go do a, a ride on rolling hilly terrain on a fixed gear, you're going to be stomping up some climbs at 600 watts and then you're going to be spinning at 130 rpms downhill sometimes so you you have a lot of variability in cadence um but also power mm -hmm. and then later in the year you know now sort of getting into this like pre-giro first grand tour of the year time period i go more to more sustained efforts a lot more volume and I've, this is the third winter I've done this, and I started it when the winter after the 2015 season, Jonathan Vodders, who's obviously our team manager, started writing my training plans, and we we did this focus, you know, on this really anaerobic stuff, mostly because I'm already so uh, I I do well with you know these longer efforts at altitude really steady state stuff mm -hmm. but often the you know the hardest part of the race for me is just jumping out of corners or coming into the bottom of climbs that sort of stuff and the first year so 2016 it worked really well 2017 we started throwing a lot of this like fat max like steady state type efforts in in the winter as well so it'd be like you know maybe two day blocks with like an anaerobic focus and then the second day we built up to even like it was a bit crazy but like i would do like a six hour ride with three times 90 minutes at like 320 watts and it didn't work at all like i was i was uh i just really most of the year i didn't ride very well and I probably trained a bit too hard in the winter and I don't know if I really, I mean, there were times that I was like kind of close to where I knew I, where I knew I can be, but it wasn't a great year. And, um, this year, this winter, we went back to kind of that anaerobic focus over the winter, but stayed away from that sort of middle, if you just, I guess, middle power, if you want to call it that. And now I've gotten into, uh, you know, I've been at altitude, been doing more longer sustained efforts. So I guess to go back to your question, 
there are times of the year where there's really polarized training in the sense that uh, this winter I'd go out and do maybe two hours in the morning and ride at 200 watts and then do eight one minute maximal efforts and then in the evening go to the gym and be squatting in the gym like five by five uh, sort of reps. Mm-hmm. Whereas now that we're getting closer to my big objectives for the year, we kind of get away from that. And personally, I found that that sort of model works well for me, uh, kind of developing that real peak power. And then as we get more into the season, adding in more volume. And sometimes I come into the season a bit maybe undercooked, you know, like some of the races in February or March, you haven't really done much volume yet. And, and maybe it's not all quite there, but I feel like that model works pretty well for me. How have you and Jonathan arrived at this point? Is he, is he reading journal articles? Is he picking up things from other coaches or is he, are you and he working together to sort of experiment with things a little bit because you know what you're good at, you know some of your weaknesses, and you're trying to just bring everything up to the next level? Yeah, I mean, I think he's well-informed, but also some of it is, um, you know, there's value to experience as a as a rider. Um, you know, I think you can, for example, you could go to school and learn all about training and physiology and um, really have the, you know, academic side of it down. But I think there is a lot of value to um, having raced at a high level and, and you have that experience. So I think it's a bit of that. And there is probably some degree of experimentation because you don't always know how someone is going to respond individually to to a given type of training. Right. But at the same time, you know, from my end, uh, while obviously sometimes mistakes are going to be made, you have to be a little bit careful about that because, you know, this is, this is my career and you can't, you can't afford to make it a big experiment. Um, so I think too, you have to kind of, uh, keep your wits about you and sort of, you know, not, uh, I, I wouldn't drift too far off. There's more to be a top pro than just training. Let's get back to SAP and talk about nutrition and living in Europe. This often comes up when uh, people go to Europe, particularly in cyclocross riders that might go over for a brief period of time. And they struggle with the lack of familiarity with everything from the surroundings, but particularly to their food mm-hmm. and all of that. Is that has that been a struggle at all finding the the things that you perform best on in terms of your nutrition? Mm, not too bad. I mean, I think in the U.S. you have just a lot of variety, so you can either eat absolute garbage or you can eat you know <laughs> really <is> really <laughs> good food. So, but that, but that's on you to you can walk into King Supers or whatever, and you have you take the blue pill or the red, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about pills. Yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> keep it G rated. Uh, but yeah, in Europe, I think yeah, you're you're definitely limited. But I'll I literally eat anything, so I don't I'm not picky at all. 
but I, I do really like to eat. Yeah, for me in Europe, I say, oh, oh that's a cool food I've never seen before. It's oh, a nice cured meat. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's good or bad for me, but I, I want to try it. <laughs> so then, yeah, there's much more experimentation where in the U.S. it's like, okay, I'll get some rice for dinner and some some meat and, and I'm happy with that. But over there, it's, oh, what's this fun, fun topping to Right. (laughs) I think, I think one thing to, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're living in adventure right now a little bit too, which is, which is sort of envelops everything that we're talking about. This is, you're a kid. If if I do say so myself, you're a kid living in Europe with another kid, Nielsen Paulus. Yeah. yeah, As your roommate living in Europe, racing bikes and it's an adventure and you're trying this and you're trying that and you're going to Basque country and, you just described this heinous story of a stage and Trevor asked, and how did you feel after that? And you're like, that, I was pretty excited about yeah, that. Yeah. You know, this is, yeah. I mean, the other part of this big story is that you're living a dream. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it goes, it goes both ways because you have to embrace everything that you or you know, take everything in that you can when you're on this journey. But at the same time, you're, you know, it is a job and you have to be, you have to be good and serious, you know, and, serious and, and you gotta, it. you gotta show up on at the race and, and know that you've rested properly, eaten properly, trained properly. Cause there's no margin for, for that kind of stuff. Like where it would be on the U S you think, ah, oh, yeah, I can have Taco Bell before the, before the crit, you know, it's not going to hurt me, but you know, you can't, over there. you can't have Taco Bell before the time trial at, <laughs> at some world. Tour. It's just not gonna, it's just not the same margin. So yeah, I think that's been yeah, an interesting challenge for me because pretty easygoing. I think I function best when I'm not worried about all the little, like when I'm on the bike, I'm very focused and I do what I need to do, but off the bike, I can be maybe not, not as focused as I, as I should be. But for me, it's finding a balance because if I went totally monk mode, I would, I burn would, out pretty quickly. I would not be a, a happy, happy camper. And, but then on the other side, if I, if I'm drinking beer and eating chips every day, it's probably <laughs> not the ideal situation for me or, or anybody else. Right. Um, you so, might not last very long either. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just, just two, two extremes. And I've, I've never been at, at any one of those extremes. I think I've had a really good, good balance. And that's, I think I credit that a lot to how I've been able to progress like I did is because, yeah, nothing was ever super forced. I think it goes back to your point too. It wasn't even a point. It was a statement about how you just carry yourself, which is setting reasonable and not delusional yeah. <laughs> expectations of yourself. And that means sometimes setting your ego aside, just understanding the situation, considering all of the other players, the course, whether it suits you, where you are in your season, taking all of that information in. Whether it's literally writing, you know, like yeah, doing, yeah. going through a checklist or just having this innate sense like you probably do at this point and setting a reasonable expectation. And therefore, if you go into a race and you get your butt kicked and you've got your expectations really high, you can get yourself into trouble that way. Yeah, definitely. And, and I don't think the expectations should ever be like, uh, like a number or anything. Like, like last year when I was like before Tour of Utah, I said, okay, I'm in, I'm in good shape. Tour Utah's coming up. I, I think I can do well, but I never said, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I need to get top 10 or top three or whatever. Cause then, then it's just one more thing that's like nagging at you mentally. If you don't 
accomplish that thing, which is just a, just a number. So yeah, for me, it's just the, the process goals. Like now for me, it's like contribute to the, like chasing or get to this point in the, in the race instead of this point where you got dropped earlier. Like let's, let's make it to <laughs> 2k to go instead of 10k to go. And, and then if, if you set those reasonable processes for yourself, then, then it's a lot easier than saying, oh, nationals is coming up top three or bust, you know, that, that, that just right. doesn't, doesn't help you. Really. So you're focusing on the execution. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Which I think is a, a great thing because yeah. when you're standing on the start line, there's nothing you can do to control whether you cross the line first or not. And yeah. people have a hard time understanding. You can race the perfect race and get yeah. a flat tire 10, yeah. 10 miles from the finish yeah. and you're going to finish dead last. Mm -hmm. But you do control the things like how do I how prepared do I come into the race? Am I going to ride at the front of the field? How am mm -hmm. I going to approach this climb? <clears throat> and it sounds like those are the things you really focus on. And if you do it all right and the form is there, the, the, the result might be a, a win, but that's not the focus. Yeah, yeah, it's not the focus. And I mean, it sucks to not get the result because that's what you you want in the end that's what everybody wants is to is to win or get their best number in the end but it's 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 hard to let go of that i guess like you said it's there's just there's just so much going on that you just have to respect that you know i think it also turns the focus towards yourself and you you can't you can focus on yourself you can't worry about the other people that might show up because if you say i'm going to get fifth or I'm going to get first, but then other riders that are better than you show up, then that's just, you can yeah. only, you can, you have to focus on yourself at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just do your best performance and let the chips land where they land. Yeah, definitely. And like for me, being a new, new pro, like, you know, I've, I've talked to other guys and they say, yeah, it's, it's, you know, everybody is on a different, different pathway. You know, there's like, there's the, the slow burners that they're not really, anywhere in the races and then and then finally something clicks and then they start to to do well or and then and then there's also people that are immediately good and i don't it, i don't think it's good to to yeah compare yourself to to people that are on different trajectories because everyone's everyone's so different and then if you're comparing you say oh well he got he was top 10 in all these races in his first year and i'm I'm not, then I, I, I would imagine that in yeah. your team specifically, that's a good point to make about your team specifically, because you've got this guy, Primoz Roglic, who's in some cases, in, in, in some people's minds, it seems like he's come out of nowhere. He's a ski jumper and mm -hmm. he has been riding bikes a lot and he's just crushing it. Mm -hmm. So if you compare yourself to him, you're going to probably get demoralized because he's just, yeah got that talent he's yeah. things are clicking yeah, yeah. um it's working for him is that something you talk about on that team specifically because he's he's got that talent and it's clicking yeah i think for primos like every yeah everybody knows that he's just a freak of nature but but yeah he, he did it like if you look but he did have to go through the ranks you know riding for a continental team and he tells us stories about like his first team time trial he didn't know that you you could not take poles, you know, so he just would ruin himself taking poles <laughs> and then get dropped. And it makes him a good time trialist now, I guess. Yeah, yeah. but everybody s starts from from somewhere. And yeah, he, he's a super humble guy and has a lot of humility too. And yeah, it's interesting to hear his stories about stupid things he's done in races or 
yeah, it's it's interesting to to see the the humility that that those top writers have. You know, mm-hmm. It's pretty cool to be part of that. Yeah. So it definitely sounds like in the races you aren't. So you said you aren't really focused on the result. It's much more focusing on the process, focusing on your performance at the time. Does that carry after the race? Do you spend a lot of time saying, man, I didn't do well in that race or I did really well in this race? Or is it just, okay, that race is done. Now let's get back to the the process of training and getting ready for the next race. Yeah, for me, I just tried not to really dwell on it too much. You know, if, if it went well, then yeah, it's, it's awesome. And that's good, good fuel for the, for the fire. And I can carry you through the whole year. You know, one, one result can really improve your, your confidence. But yeah, I think it's, for me, it's, it's just easier if I just start focusing on the, on the next thing. Cause yeah, say you had three bad races. If you're only thinking or reviewing and reviewing the bad races, then, then there's just more in your head saying, Oh, yeah, that's, that's bad. Or you, you have to, you have to get so much better. How is it possible that then you're just. Yeah, stalling yourself, I think. What I love about this is, I mean, you watch movies and whenever they show you somebody who's very successful and a champion, they tend to like to show this image of somebody who always has to win. And if they don't win, they're kicking in the walls and yeah. and, and at home dwelling about it. And that's yeah. here you are, somebody who's progressed amazingly fast, gotten to the highest level extraordinarily fast. And you are so process oriented. You really look at it as just there's going to be a whole lot of races. Some are going to go well. Some are, are going to go badly. And I'm just going to focus on what I need to be doing next and what I need to be doing next and, and continuing to progress my level. And that's much more level-headed and you don't get caught up in any particular race. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the, the races are races. And yeah, there's there's only so much you can do. For me, the most stress I have is in in the training because that's, that's what I can control. The races you... You can only control so much. So if, if I'm in a, in a mental rut or something, it's usually something that's like, Oh, I don't feel good in training or, Oh, that's, it's not where I should be kind of thing. So that, that for me personally, that's harder to break out of because yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's processes and and in training, the process is all on you, but in the race, it's multiple things. You can adapt better. Would you, would you say your perspective, your approach is an outlier or you find that's the way most of the guys in your team approach it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say because you don't always see into the mental side of, of some guys. Yeah. And, and, and you see like, especially when guys are so good, you know, you think, oh, it's all nothing. Nothing's hard for them because <laughs> <laughs> right. they're just <laughs> machines. Good. You yeah, know, they, yeah. They, yeah, they're just. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of guys on my team that, at least for like from the outside, you'd think, oh, that yeah, you know, like you said, that guy's got to be super anal and yeah, just never happy or never uh, yeah, never pleased with the, the last result, always shooting for the next thing. But yeah, I think a lot of those guys are pretty easygoing because they know what what they can do and what they can't do. And right, you used to in your short time on the d- domestic scene, scene in, in North America, have a chance of winning. You don't really have that chance right now. So you're a worker. You're domestic. It seems like for a guy like you, that's perfect. You're perfectly willing to do that work, play that role, have that purpose, do as much as you can, and be satisfied with sort of that uh, work ethic at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that, that's true. But I think ultimately you need to, to get the results because that's what it's all based on in the end. It's the confirming whatever they see in you, whether that's being the, the lead out guy or being the, the last man in the mountains or, or being the guy that, that wins the race. Like you, you need to get the result in the end. So I think, yeah, maybe it's a, it's a different mental switch like this year for me, just you know, working and, and having pretty, pretty low pressure environment, you know, just as long as I do the work that they tell me to do in the meeting, then it's, it's okay. But yeah. You know. Could you, could you take us inside what it's like on the, on your team before a race and how, how it's all sort of spelled out? Who's, who's doing what? Yeah. The weeks before the race, we have a general plan and general expectations for, for each rider. So with our schedules too, we know like, okay, I have this race in August and it looks like I'll be the, the helper for this race. So that's, that's pretty clear. Yeah. It, it, everything's very, very clear, which is nice. You know, there's not much ambiguity Mystery, about, yeah, yeah right. which is, which is good, especially if you're there to do, uh, do a job because you know exactly what's expected of you. Um, so yeah, we have that general idea going into it. And then before each stage, we kind of just, go over that again and then yeah say all right you guys are covering the moves in the beginning and and then maybe two guys will you know ride on the front or or be the the first like workers to yeah. sacrifice themselves and then uh depends yeah. on the race situation yeah, but it's the... it's really not too overly specific because they they know that you know you can't plan because i i've been in i've been in both i've been in meetings where where it's so specific that you think, okay, like, I guess that's <laughs> yep, how we're going to do it. And I don't know if it's going to work, but it's, we're going to do it. And then, yeah, when, if it's so specific like that, it usually doesn't ever pan out like that. And you can't plan for situations. And if it's, if everybody just knows, I think all you need to do is know what your role is. You can then, focus on yourself. Yeah, and, everyone, yeah. Everyone's smart enough to, to figure it out in the heat of the moment and, we did a whole episode yeah. on that. Have roles, not a plan, because plans yeah. go out the window on the start line. Yeah. I think, yeah. The, I think the only place you can, if you have a stage where you have like three category one climbs and it finishes with an HC climb, you can be pretty confident how that, that stage is going to play out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, you just never know. No. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had a super formulaic plan. Now that you've had your eyes opened to this world, to this world tour, what are, what, do you think you're capable of? You don't have to put a number on it. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I'm I'm more motivated for not like grand tours or anything necessarily. I I mean, it'd be awesome to race some, but I think like one day races like Lombardia or something would be would be cool to perform at. But I'm in terms of what I'm capable of, I I, I think it's really fun to be like a really good support rider. I think that's that's motivating for me. And I, I know some guys that's, it's not motivating, but for me, I, it's cool to be part of like a, a team, team effort and winning, winning contribution. And I think that would be cool for me to do, but yeah, for, for individual goals, I think just, yeah, those cool one day races, Lombardia, Strada Bianchi would be cool. The races that are fun to watch, I think are <laughs> the mm -hmm. races that I would like to do well in, but yeah, it's hard to say exactly where, how, how far I can go or. Cause, cause there's people that have a vision of what you're going to become. And then there's you and I'm, I'm the only one that can, <laughs> you know, do Make it, it in happen. The end. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
but yeah, you, you can't worry about what other people are like, oh, and climber, he's, he's, he's good at long climbs. Oh, he's good at short climb. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's all on you to, to, to do it. Okay, Seb. So we got you on the clock for one minute. <laughs> your, uh, your takeaway for the listeners out there, your, your tips, top three, top five tips on how to step up to that next level. First of all would be just setting realistic process oriented uh, expectations if you want to call them that expectations mm-hmm. for yourself mm-hmm. if you don't shoot too high don't shoot too low you're gonna be pleased with with how you do so long as you you do everything in your in your power to to get there give 100 yeah. percent or yeah yeah leave it all out there whatever <laughs> whatever that means and uh, the second would be yeah just keeping keeping perspective and there's there's always another day always another race try not to dwell on things i mean analyze what went wrong what went well but don't don't dwell too long and always look look forward and positively to to whatever is coming next i'll add one really quick uh addition to to your second tip there which is i i like to tell my athletes whenever they're going to a race that they're getting a little stressed about write down what your next race is just to have that reminder yourself that this is not the end of the world no matter how this goes there's a race after this mm-hmm. helps to keep the perspective i think another one i uh, is patience sep doesn't need patience because he went from uh not knowing how to race a crit in denver <laughs> in three years ago to uh racing the the tour of the bass country so he didn't really need that much patience but sometimes it just takes a long it takes longer than maybe you want it to to click having patience is a is a, a great asset yeah, I, yeah. I went from not knowing how to race a crit in denver to in 15 years doing a podcast <laughs> <laughs> progression yeah. patience progression. is all, all relative <laughs> yeah yeah that was another episode of fast talk as always we love your feedback Email us at fasttalk at velonews.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velonews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Fast Talk is a joint production between velonews and Connor Coaching. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Sepp Kuss, Joe Dombrowski, Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening. 